Hello, my friends. How are you today? You're listening to the St. Mark Sunday Edition podcast. This podcast features a replay of our Sunday sermon, or on occasion, a sermon from another of our well sister churches. If you enjoy what you heard today, you might also enjoy our weekday devotions, which you will automatically get if you subscribe to the podcast. Additionally, you might consider sharing with a friend. Each and every podcast has a share link in its description, which can be found in the same podcast app that you're listening to right now. I've tried to make that link obvious. Let me know if it isn't by emailing me at john.kirk at stmarksbimagey.org. Share God's word and share love to your neighbor. Every now and then, life gets to me. It's usually not just one thing. More often than not, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Just when I've had it, though, God always provides relief through his word. A reset button in a way. I found today's sermon to be one of those reset buttons. Today, on All Saints Day, we are reminded that the path that the world has carved out for us isn't the one that God has in mind for us. We really messed up God's creation with our sin, and it only takes a glance around to see the not-so-wonderful works of our hands. But despite ourselves, despite our sin, God has created a better path for us. As a child would knock down a tower of blocks, Jesus destroys our sin and lays out a path that he will carry us home on, forever, to be with him, at peace. He restores us to the way things were supposed to happen. Today's sermon is aptly titled, The Way It Was Supposed to Be, and is based on Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now let's join Pastor Zamzow for this week's sermon. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior, who is the Lamb who once was slain, but now lives and reigns forever. Amen. Just because it rains doesn't mean that the sun won't come out again. Just because the seasons turn one from another and as a, you know, I don't know, in a few short weeks or maybe even days, we'll get dumped on with three tons of snow doesn't mean that spring won't come. Just like every single day as part of the world turns itself over into darkness, And night doesn't mean that the sun ever stops shining and that the day won't once more come. And so just as we live these lives that are so often fickle and short and full of suffering or heartache 
or loss and death. You know the old adage? Life's a you-know-what. Then you die. Just because that's true does not mean that that's the way that it was supposed to be. And that's the truth that we focus on this morning that we really find at the heart of what John writes in Revelation. Before we get into his exact words this morning, there's something that I want us all to ponder and consider. <coughs> something that I don't think many people realize. Realize that the Bible is bookended with perfection. What do you find in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? But a description of a perfect world. And so it is at the very end of the book, in Revelation, the last two chapters of God's Word describe a world redeemed, restored, forgiven, set back to the way, the, thing, the way things were supposed to be, no, even better. A world made better than it was originally supposed to be. Just expounding on that whole thought a little bit, think about what you find in, in Genesis, in the first two chapters of Genesis. The whole world was in harmony. There was perfect balance between God and His creation. Humans were perfectly in the image of God. There was no barrier between man and woman and God. What Adam and Eve desired, God desired. What God desired, Adam and Eve desired. But then what? They fall into sin, and Adam and Eve take what is not theirs. They eat from that fruit that God had set in that garden, that tree that was there, was their way of honoring Him. In effect, that tree was their church. And they took from it at the devil's temptation. They fell into sin. And from Genesis chapter 3 onward, the entirety of creation is plunged into darkness and difficulty. We see nothing but a people who are constantly at odds with their own Creator. Even in the case of God's people Israel, we see a people who are chosen by God but are they perfect, loving people? No way. They're estranged from the one who chose them, the one that made them by their thoughts and by their words and by their actions. It wasn't supposed to be this way. And from that point on in Genesis chapter 3, the relationship between God and humankind is marred by sin. The entirety of creation is marred by sin. We might think of the big ones. You know, maybe there's uh, problems in, in a relationship that causes strife and tension. Maybe there's a situation in life that arises that causes suffering. Uh, maybe there's, there's problems uh, uh, that, that, that arise that cause all sorts of trial and difficulty in life. Those are the big things that come to mind, but think about the little stuff. Your, whole, your, your, your clothes, they wear out. They get holes in them. Your brand new car rusts. Your home requires constant maintenance. 
The weather outside brings not just sunshine and uh, beautiful spring rains, but it brings storms and damaging temperatures, blistering heat and bone-chilling cold. Even if you're walking through a park or through a forest or, or even out in your yard on one of these beautiful fall days that we've experienced uh, over the last couple of weeks, and you know that the, the, the air has kind of that like light chill in it, but then the breeze comes by and it's warm, made warm by the sun. And the sun is shining. And if Bemidji could be eaten for just a second, that would be it. But then what? You look down and you see a dead animal. You see a dead bird or you see a dead squirrel or some roadkill. And we may just, you know, we're so accustomed to it that we don't even give it a second thought. It's like, all right, whatever, dead animal, who cares? But there it is in all of its gruesome display. Death. The flies, the rot, the stink, all of it. Even in the midst of that beauty. The whole of creation has been marred by sin itself. And where there's sin, there's death. Just like where there's smoke, there's fire. It's the harshest preaching of the law. The thing that dies will not rise again. And even worse, when it's somebody that you love. The thought that you won't look into the eyes of that person again. That you won't hold their hand. That you won't confide in them. That you'll never get another kiss on the cheek from mom. And there aren't words that describe that pain. And that pain offers itself up not as a polite suggestion. It, offers, it doesn't just say, oh, I'm here, you can choose to ignore me or not. No, pain like that, the pain that comes from death, it demands to be felt. It screams and it yells into our minds, into our consciences, into our hearts, that angst and that fear shows us that death itself is unnatural. It's our aversion to it. Our disgust with death. It wasn't supposed to be that way. That's why Jesus cries at the tomb of His friend Lazarus. He stands there, even though he knows that he's going to raise him to life in a matter of moments. Jesus buckles at the knees and bawls his eyes out because he's, in, he's confronted with death. He's confronted with death and he knows that it's not supposed to be this way. He knows that God initially didn't create us to be this way, to feel this pain, to experience this grief or this hurt. And God certainly didn't make us to die. We were supposed to be eternal creatures who'd never know death, who'd walk and talk and eat and drink with God. But no, here it is. Death in all of its gruesome display. And even Martha looks at him and says, I don't know if I want to roll that stone away, Jesus, because it's going to stink in there. It wasn't supposed to be this way. And Jesus knew it. But remember, like I said, the Bible is bookended with perfection. Perfect to begin with, 
an absolute and utter mess in between. Where humanity falls so far into depravity as it slays the holy, perfect Son of God, indeed the one whose word created it. But then what? That crown of creation, Jesus, sees the light of life, spends three days in the tomb, and rises again and breaks the tomb. And in Him we see the pattern that God has for all of us. We're reminded that just because there is darkness now doesn't mean that the sun, S-O-N, ever stops shining. There is light after darkness. There is reason to hope because of Jesus. And this is what we find come to full fruition in the end of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22 in the last couple of chapters of the Bible in this reading for today. Listen again to these words of John. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. This heavenly messenger shows St. John this picture of heaven. Shows him this glimpse of the other side of the tombstone. And this river of the water of life is flowing out from where? flowing out from the eternal throne of God. And who's sitting on it? The Lamb who once was slain, but who has risen again. And that water of life is clear and pure as crystal. Because it flows out from the One who came here, took our place, experienced this life just like we do, suffered for us, and died in a tidal wave of forgiveness. That Lamb who once was slain but rose again, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end of all things. He, the one that sits on the throne, is the one who played, excuse me, paid the blood price for the sin of the entire world. Not just for a select group of people, not just for a, 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 just, just for a couple, or for those who say, I've accepted Jesus into my heart. No. The blood of the Lamb of God spilled on Calvary covered the sin of the entire world. All people who have ever drawn breath. The Son of God set things back the way that they were supposed to be and put us right with God. On each side of the tree, uh, excuse me, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. When's the last time we met that tree? In the Garden of Eden. That was the tree of life. That was the tree that God said, eat from that one. That one will let you live forever. One of the many that the Lord had put there. But then once Adam and Eve fell into sin, God took it and replanted it. And here it finds itself in its rightful place. In the center of the city. Where God reigns and lives and rules. And now all who come to it eat of it and live forever. And the tree of that pur- uh, the, the purpose of that tree is restored the way it was supposed to be. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. Where sin was once a barrier and separated us and our will from God and divided us 
separated us by death, where the ultimate curse was death itself, and life was endless service, as by the sweat of our brow we get our food and put clothes on our back. Now it's all turned on its head. Now, once again, there is no division between God and man. We'll see His face. We'll eat and drink with Him. He will be there with us. In our service, our work, it won't be done begrudgingly. It won't be done in pain or, or in hurt. It won't be done for fruit. Uh, no labor will be fruitless. Work will be a joy. Service will be a joy. And there will be no more death. Just like it was in the first two chapters of the Bible where Adam and Eve ate and drank and walked and talked with God, so it will be again. The way that it was supposed to be. There will be no more night. They will, never need a, they will not need a lamp, the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. No darkness to blind us, no primal fear, even of a, uh, like that little child who's afraid of the dark. It'll be no more. The light of created things isn't even necessary. The sun, moon, and stars. No turning of, of the earth into darkness ever again. Rather, we'll have a sun that goes not down. And we'll have that light. Not unnatural light. But the light that was created on day one. Genesis 1. In the, let there be light. That light. That light that comes from God alone. And guess where we live? In it. Along with all those who have gone before us. Never a thing to darken our day. Only peace with God and all those who have trusted in His promise. Forever. The way that it was supposed to be. And so today as we're reminded of this beautiful truth, the fact that even after darkness, there is the light of life. No mattering the suffering or the pain or death. We get this picture in, in, in Revelation uh, in Revelation chapter 22 of a perfect world all made possible by Jesus. But that kind of seems far away, doesn't it? Kind of seems like, well, I'm not dead yet. Right now i got to live with all this stuff. So what about us right here, right now? Obviously, we come to church and we gather around God's Word and we're reminded of this promise so that our faith is strengthened. But there's something else, too. And it's sitting right behind me. The Lord's Supper. And not to get on a soapbox about it, but I think it's really applicable when, it's, when we're talking about how do believers deal with this right now? I think in our Lutheran teaching, catechism, um, in, in adult instruction, or in Bible classes um, for years, we've put an emphasis on the substance, right? What is this when you take it? Body and blood, in, with, and under the... Or, or the, the bread and wine is there, and, and the body and blood is in, with, and under it, right? And rightly so. Why? Because there's some that teach falsely about it. There are those that say, ah, it just represents Jesus' body and blood. There are those who say, no, it completely transforms the substance. 
Yet the Bible teaches us it's both. It's bread and wine and it's body and blood, all in the same thing. Didn't taste like a chunk of flesh for the disciples who were sitting at the table there with Jesus that night. So what's the point, though? Is it just that God gives us the substance? Is it just so that we have this substance, precious though it is? Is that really it? No, there's something more going on here. And it's something that I think that maybe we've been cognizant of, but have lost a little bit along the way. Can we divide the person of Christ? Is he ever here and not there? Nope. There he is. Body and blood. Human and divine nature. Sacramentally present with us. And even though our human eyes can't see it, it's no less real than as though he was sitting at the table with his disciples on that night that he was betrayed and he said those exact same words, take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood. In that voice, the voice of the one that called all things into being, the voice of the one who set things the way that they were supposed to be in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. If he says, this is my body and this is my blood, guess what it is? It's his body and it's his blood and he is here with us. And for this moment, heaven and earth meet and there's more than one side to that table. The Lord Jesus is calling us to eat and drink with him along with all of those who have gone before us. It's an appetizer, a foretaste of heaven. The Lord, the Lord Jesus calls us to Him. Calls us to come and eat and drink his, at His table. For now, and when finally, when we die, it's the same meal. And so we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again, until we eat and drink and feast with Him in glory at the victory feast of the Lamb. Because we know that our Savior rose. We know that he, he forgave all of our sins. We know that He's given us uh, access to this promise of God that we shall live forever with all of those who have gone before us. And so here it is, this foretaste of heaven where we eat and drink with Him and all those that we cannot see who have gone on before us. You know, everybody wants to hold on to something when they die, uh, the, 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 something of a loved one when they die, Right? Everybody wants to, to remember them, uh, the, a memento or something like that. Well, what about this? If that person is in heaven, then come and eat and drink at the same table as them. The problem is we just don't have the eyes to see it. We look rather with the eyes of faith. The eyes of faith that our Savior gives us, that fill us with confidence that we can sit down at His table face to face with God, both now and forevermore, because of what Jesus has done as He has redeemed, restored, and forgiven all and He set things back to the way that they're supposed to be. Amen. That's all there is for today, but we are so happy you took a few moments out of your busy day to listen to God's Word with us. Please consider subscribing to our podcast to hear more devotions like this Monday through Friday and to hear our Sunday sermons as well. 
We also cordially invite you to join us for church every week at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website at www.stmarksbemidji.org.